Who are his parents? Oh God. Who who's the father? Who's the mother? Who are who? We did a DNA and a lie detector test. When it comes to Kurt Wagner. <laughs> oh man. Welcome to the Ex-Wife Podcast. I'm Alicia. And I'm Justin. And we're back. Hey, we're back with a regularly scheduled program. We're doing the thing. You know, it's still it's still in the lax later times, but we need that. That's, I'm literally laying down right now. You need to. I'm supposed to. Yes, and, and we're <laughs> in a different area of the house. Yes, which, this has actually inspired some change in our setup. We'll see how that rolls out over the next few months. Mm-hmm. But that's enough dilly-dallying. We're here to talk about comics. Yeah, we're talking about comics. Which comics? Let me tell you. We're talking about three Infinity Comics today. X-Men Unlimited number 113, 114, and 115. We have, for our tangies, Predator vs. Wolverine number three, Realm of X number four, Ms. Marvel the New Mutant number four, and X-Men Blue Origins number one. Wow. That's it. A manageable stack for a great time. But first, the news. news. It's the news. It's back. The news is back. News. There's probably so much news that I missed. <laughs> it's been like how many weeks since we've actually done a new segment? And at least three. Yeah, at least three. Uh, so there's definitely news that I'm missing. Mm-hmm. We've talked about I think even... Before X Men Forever hasn't even been announced in the news, you know, like X Men Forever. That's the the new mini after the Rise of the Powers of X that Kieran's doing. It's basically X Men Immortal X Men continued as he you know, highlighted in his newsletter the other day when we were just kind of chatting and you you brought up Kieran's newsletter and you were talking about the sadness that kind of came along with it. You said that you said X Men Forever like off the cuff and I was like I definitely missed something like I don't know what that is that's the the cover with Gene and the blood everywhere and the phoenix shape that's oh, X-Men Forever number one yes okay I didn't miss that I just forgot about it well yeah and also we didn't really like talk about it or any right. details it was just hey look at this cover right but anyway, that's not that's not even we're talking about news that's not we're the news right news. now news what is the There's news other news Justin? hey Miss Marvel Mutant Menace you want to talk about new life to uh, a, a title, new chapters in a series. I'm actually really excited about that because I think like it's cool to have had her have her Muberty. the new mutant phase. Yeah, yeah, it was like her Muberty and she had this moment of like, which we'll talk about today when we talk about that issue, but like very much realize, realizing her place in the world as a mutant and accepting that for what it is and sort of like getting her feet wet there. And now it makes sense for a new title, a new, like she is, she's mutant and proud essentially, right? So now she's a mutant menace. And I think, I know you had mentioned there had been some like chatter or I'd seen comments maybe on our post, people asking like, why are we doing this just for a new number one and all of that? And I'm definitely one of those people who's kind of like, oh, we just need a number one again. But I think that as a Batch chapter, storytelling. Yeah. But I think as a chapter in her like mutant development, this is like her next phase, right? In, so in it the makes same, sense. In the same way that Knights of X became, or, or Excalibur became Knights of X, so that was a different story. It wasn't right. a team story of Excalibur. That was taking the seeds and putting it under a different banner. You know, I, I get 
the desire for number ones, the added dollar on the mm-hmm. the cover, the 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 wow, what's new, you know. But I also really enjoy the fact that they're segmenting these narrative bridges to larger sections, right? So to yeah. go from what was before the fall to actually the fall mm-hmm. and all the titles associated within, which as we have brought up in our comments this week, not all tie directly to the overarching narrative of the fall. And, right. and in the same way that not all tied to the overarching narrative of Dawn of X or Reign of X, they were just doing their own thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Excalibur was oftentimes that title. It's true. But anyway, all that's to say, Ms. Marvel, Mutant Menace, In addition to that, you want to talk about titles, announcements, details, free comic book day. Free comic book day. We've got some covers. We've got some some light details about this being billed as the prelude to the next era of X-Men comics. Oh, intrigue. Written by Gail Simone, which is the name that is being tossed around. Is like, okay, is Gail heading the X-Men? Ooh, next generation, baby. There's also, and I don't know how much, you know, I don't like to report on rumors. Right. I'm a newsman. You got the, the facts, the, the data. Facts. But there you are need to rumors. Back it up. There are rumors. Rumors. I like rumors. Tell me them. Rumors reported by Bleeding Cool, Ooh. which is a comics journalism site. Okay. About hints of where the new direction will be taking us. Okay. Tell me the hints. Do you want the hints? Do you want the details? I, I don't know. Like, I don't know how much you want. Because you, you particularly, say... you particularly, you get really up your butt about <laughs> things being either like, quote unquote, spoiled or, you know. And I think especially, <laughs> I think especially with it not being like in, a, in an official announcement, this falls into that category being a rumor. Okay. We've made it very clear that it's a rumor, but you can't say there are rumors about what's going to happen and then not say what the rumor is. Like, that will drive me bonkers. So tell me. The rumors are that we will not be getting a full reset. Oh. That this will be a continuation of the Krakoan narrative. Okay. But with a focus on getting back to basics still. Yes, with like the... X-Men first. Right. The the idea of feared and hated, maybe mm-hmm. a school, maybe some kind of training program. A particular mutant has been highlighted as taking a forefront role. Who? She is on the walls of this room. Emma, Emma, get it, get it. Emma, Emma. Kate? Laura? Magic? There you go. Oh you got God. there eventually. <laughs> Maddie? Who else is on yeah, my yeah, wall? It's magic. It's magic, at least <gasps> according to these rumors. Oh, my God. Which... And then I started to I'm think cry about right now. I'm so excited, literally. On, and what? then the fact that you know that conversation between Magic and Xavier about needing something for the next generation, needing, <sighs> and even her involvement with Strange Academy, being a professor, being a teacher for the next generation of those students, I think is kind of interesting. I'm sweating. Plus, it's Magic, just a rumor, but I'm sweating. Sure. Plus, Magic as becoming the the new headliner character in a lot of different ways through her carrying these like offside <sighs> projects yeah. yeah who knows don't put too much in I'm it not you're, gonna, you're, I'm not gonna, I'm you're not smiling gonna. too much for a rumor I, I'm this is so why sorry. I, you know, all that preamble <laughs> was to calm you down but okay it did but nothing. it didn't work no. it doesn't matter okay it's just a rumor alicia Whoo-wee. all right there's conversations about beast being reset in some way and that's likely why the kind of combo 
that's likely why that Avengers backup is the mm. only one somewhere. We don't know how that happens with Cerebro, with the five, with is that still on the table? I, and there's a cover of X Force with Beast and Wonder Man kind of coming through. Oh, interesting. Which is the classic, you know, bouncing blue beast from the Avengers days that everybody is angling for. I wouldn't be mad about a beast reset like that. I think I just want to clarify because I know I've said in the past that, you know, if if that he was reset, it wouldn't forgive everything that he's done. But this would be a different version of Beast. And I wouldn't hate that. Like, it's fine for him to for them to say that guy's no good. Let's get a, let's get back to basics with this. I wouldn't I wouldn't be mad at that at all. Yeah, those are those are all the rumors that have come out from there's a Comic-Con in I think Mexico this weekend, mm. as well as L.A. Comic-Con. Uh, the one in Mexico apparently has a lot of creators associated yes. with that line. Uh, and that's where these rumors are coming from. I don't know if it's true. We'll report as we get more information oh or as things further develop. But that's the, the hot goss. I literally hope it's so true. You know, speaking about the hot goss, the Ooh. many loves of Nightcrawler is a article on Marvel.com oh. talking about... Educate yourself. Yeah. Who are all these wild women? Uh, one, of, <laughs> one of them, you know, questionably his uh, foster sister. Me? Sure. But would that make her, okay, foster. foster sister. Foster sister, yes. It's still weird. It is, but it isn't. It depends yeah. on what age mm. they became quote unquote siblings. He was a baby boy. Okay. Was, was not even, like, had no. No understanding of what anything else was. So grew up his life believing she was his sister. Uh, I think it was very upfront about him not being the biological child of Margali, but Still, yes, right. that's different. That is different than, say, they were teens, and then mm. suddenly this other person came into your life. It's all squiggly feelings. <laughs> Preview art from The Rise and Fall. That's come out in the last couple of weeks, and I think that's the, the deepest of the polls in terms of news. Uh, and I went to look for Data is Beautiful segment. Uh-huh. The data is not reported. Oh, my God. November comic sales data is not up. I can't find it. How dare they? It keeps on directing me to October. So hold fast. We'll be there next week. Oh, my gosh. Y'all, Justin needs his data. He hasn't had polls in weeks. Yeah. Well, before we get into polls, we have personal news. Personal news. Me first? If you'd like. Sure. So... The other day, my fantastic friend Dylan, uh, who y'all would know from House of X, House of X podcast and uh, at Warpath Dylan on Instagram, he kind of approached me and said, hey, I want to do a cosplay advent calendar, sort of a posting thing. Do you want to do it with me? And I said, yes, because I don't really have a lot that is motivating me on a daily basis right now. Like I get up, I walk out of the bedroom, walk in quotes on my crutches out of the bedroom into my craft room and lay from one bed to the next bed and either work here on my computer or watch TV or color. And then, ooh, I go downstairs for a little excitement like once a day. And so it feels pretty monotonous on my end. And I and I don't think that was Dylan's full intent in creating this, but I'm just very grateful that he reached out and said, hey, do you want to do this with me? Because now I have for the entire month of December every single day a motivation to do something and not every single one of them has to be like a new photo 
You know, like I could pull the first day was lights and I pulled a silly video from like New York Comic Con 2022. But it's just like a reason and a motivation to do something creative and that's outside of my regular work, which I'm really grateful for. So if y'all want to participate in any way in our cosplay advent calendar, all you have to do is go to um, either my Instagram or Dylan's Instagram, Wilder Moves or Warpath Dylan, and you can see the every single day you do not have to do the whole calendar if you see one that like seems fun join us because I think it's a cool fun thing to do and I'm really excited about having you know opportunities and it made me yesterday I it was Garland and I was like trying to think of all the characters I have and like what I could do for Garland and I just thought about Laura and how she would probably get really frustrated putting c- Christmas decorations up and she's just frustrated in general she's just generally frustrated so I pulled some stuff together and I was like, okay, so I basically have an X-23 cosplay without making anything just based on stuff I already have. So I'm excited to sort of see like what I can pull together from what I already have because these are going to be like, you know, get dressed in an outfit, take a quick picture, like go, go, go. So that's really fun. I'm excited about that. That is really fun. Yeah. What's your personal news? I hosted or I led... My first D&D campaign. Mm-hmm. Over Thanksgiving, we had family D&D after, after you know, the the older relatives, parents went home. A new holiday tradition. New holiday tradition of me DMing a secret one shot that was actually, you know, the hooks to be a longer <laughs> campaign because I want to play more D&D with my brother and his husband. So yeah. it was... Uh, <laughs> it was pitched as a one shot, but there was, was no a- way it was ever a one shot because I just put entirely too much thinking and time and uh, just world building into this thing to then let it go away. And everybody loved it. It was great. It was so much fun. I had a ton of fun. I wrote a NPC to join the party and they actually recruit. Like I wasn't going to force and yeah. technically I had two NPCs that could have joined the party. What? You know the second one, but I was like, no, you guys are doing too well. You don't need the second. You don't need Treeple. Oh, Treeple, yeah. But Tum, Tum gladly joined I and was- freaking sp- love Tum. Specifically recruited by my brother's character. Yeah. As he like looked at him, any willing fighter can join our party. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was my favorite when Ben was like, you. You, sir. You are an able-bodied man. You giant half-orc <laughs> man selling books with a- great axe behind you (laughs) yeah yeah uh so great so it has just it's funny i was talking to a friend of mine at disc golf the other day and he was talking to me about his cousin and how he does not want to get into D &D because he's well aware of what will happen and it's the exact same thing happening to me where Mm. i'm just wow there's a whole world of things there's many worlds of things and a ton of different information to learn about stuff and then to be able to like i wrote the story kind of came up with the entire story myself it's not based off of anything but used inspirations from maps and npcs that i found on reddit and the internet and then the information that i had from the three of your characters Mm -hmm. to kind of weave into this marketplace tapestry of world that we spent entirely not too much time in, yeah, but we more spent time a long than I was time. expecting. Yeah. Because everything meant like every little thing was something. It was you a world. Did such a great job. It was a giant that. it was a giant improv set that I was able to just play in because I had set out the structure and then okay. I, I remember at the end, 
So we played for four hours the first night. Yeah. Played four hours on Thanksgiving. Didn't finish it. No. Two and a half hours on Friday. Yeah. And we could have kept going. Could have kept going. I had said at the end, I was like, well, we're in uncharted territory right now. And some of the folks in the group took that as like, oh, okay, so we can stop. Like, we can stop. And I was like, yeah. I, I'm fine in uncharted territory. I live my life in uncharted territory <laughs> on the improv stage. That is just yeah. who you have to be. You know, it's not going to be as clean and or as developed as everything else that I have motivations and backstories and things like that. Yeah. Let's wing it. But I think it's also beneficial to then let that simmer and build from. Yeah. And the group consensus, you know, after the first night was very much like we want to continue to play together. So I think also the moment of pause was like, oh, yeah, well, if we stop here, then we all have a desire to continue we're in a place where we could continue. This is a natural point of pause. Yeah. So let's do that. The other small thing, stupid thing, it brings me entirely too much joy. And then the fact that I share it and I was at disc golf yesterday and I said to my friends randomly, I fed a grape to a squirrel the oh, other day. Yeah. And it and like they both just kind of like, wait, what? Where did that come from? Why are you telling us this story? Squirrel friends. Squirrel friends. And that's just, uh, you know. A longer subplot of my life, and we'll get into that maybe another day. Uh, We've got a poll with three comics. A poll. All right. So Miss Marvel, Realm of X, X Men Origins, Blue. Okay. Interesting. Oh, X Men Blue Origins. Yes. <laughs> it's interesting because I feel like X Men Blue had is my instinctual answer for the winner of the poll. However, I feel like the reveals and the retcons within that issue could be controversial, which might affect the voting. But I'm still going to say X-Men or X-Men Blue. What's the percentage? mm, Let's see. Three. So let's say 43 percent. 83% 83% oh, shoo, for X Men Blue. Okay. <laughs> there was no such qualm in the people's heart as they chose. Okay, totally. So I've got to get back in the group. Apparently. 9% for Realm of X, 8% for Miss Marvel. It was a clear knockout. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Do you want to talk about your feelings on not doing a poll last week? I hated it. But why? What did you we think could happen? I, we did? Yeah, we talked about it in the episode. I thought that it oh. was likely the first time that something would have beaten Immortal X-Men because I loved Uncanny Spider-Man, Yeah, the issue, and I thought it was better than Immortal X-Men that week. Even though, and maybe that was just because the overwhelming nature of how many comics there were mm-hmm. to go through and recap, and the art threw me off a little bit, and I've just been enjoying Uncanny Spider-Man so Uncanny much. Uncanny Spider-Man is just so good. Yeah. We do have some general questions. We'll get into those before we start the talk. Written by Hand wonders if he's the only one who wishes Sink and Talon would do something during Fall of X. I was so excited when they were promoted to leaders of the team and survived the gala, but they have done they've been nothing but supporting characters this whole era. And I completely agreed. Mm. I mean, it's interesting because I got into some back and forth with with Daniel on Comic Extracts talking about how they're kind of doing this internet subterfuge yeah. thing. Like they are orchestrating the thing. It's just we get no real depth to that on panel. So we just assume that they're doing nothing. He also pointed out was Talon the Kinney that provided that information versus Laura. So the that throwaway line in X-Men 
the last issue where mm-hmm. Logan's on the ground in uh, Liberia. Yes. Is that the Kinney? Because then I was like, how's this work with this other Laura right. trapped in right. Mikhail's in gulag? Realm, right. sort of, so to speak. Dimension. Yeah, interesting. I mean, I will say it when you bring it up like that, I do go, oh, yeah, they're not really doing much. But I'm kind of okay with it because they were at the forefront of X-Men for so long that I'm like, and, and I think I'm biased because I'm liking seeing Kate, Shadowcat take kind of front and center of the X-Men book. Mm. But I would agree that it does seem unfortunate that they have been elevated to this position and that we haven't get gotten to see them really like in combat. But I'm also thinking about like in combat, no. the X-Men team in general is very underground except for Kate and Miss Marvel right now. Right. And it's less. So two things to respond to on that. Like they were on the team and then they were promoted to leading the team. Right. And I don't think we've gotten really any of that other than the couple of panels where they're like, all right, now go do this thing, which is th- mm-hmm. that is still leadership. It's less about fighting for me. It's more about like. What do they do with their X-Men team? And I guess mm-hmm. you could attribute everything that's going on is the secret backhand yeah. dealings and coordinations of Sink and Talon behind the scenes. It just it doesn't feel as impactful as maybe I was hoping for. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Bruce 33 wants to know, would we rather see mutants introduced in the MCU or start a new universe? And why? Sort of like how Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse started a new universe doing its own thing. Hmm. It, I, I got a lot of conflicting feelings because I think that, you know, everybody's reactions to the MCU in general nowadays because it's big, it's been going on for so long. How do you keep up? Casual fans, I don't care, right? I'm not a yeah, casual fan. I'm, I'm not, not a that casual person. fan. Right. So it doesn't I, matter to me. The number of times I've watched the MCU from start to finish, kind of embarrassing. You know, I yeah. could put it on my resume. It's so impressive. <laughs> I have mixed feelings because I want to connect to that larger story, but at the same time, I feel like X Men has the character well to be able to do their entire own thing and i think the way that they're slow playing it in where you know multiverse of madness you had professor x pop up mm-hmm. um another movie you had another mutant pop up yeah, right TBD, it, if you've seen that still some time it's all over the internet if you haven't seen it or hadn't had it spoiled yeah. and you weren't going to go see the movie poo poo on you yeah <laughs> i think it's interesting but then i also don't know if i like it not naturally occurring unless yeah. unless you're getting flashback stories from the alternate universes of like what the X-Men were because that's the depth of stories that mean so much to the characters is, is their that foundation they, their foundation their found family them building and growing together as a team I think it's an interesting question because in my mind that question poses the difference between live action and animated because the MCU is Marvel's it's it's they could still be in the MCU, but their stories don't have to be tied to the to the storylines that currently exist. So I think in you, Barusu meant like this universe, like right. what what has wrongly been referred to as the six one six. Right. When, t- when did that happen? Uh, Multiverse of Madness. Is that the universe where mutants will naturally occur, or will they occur in other universes, and then? be brought in in some battle world type situation which a lot of people predict and or assume yeah i would rather see them on their own and then brought in and then somehow. brought in somehow like i'd want i'd want to see it's interesting too because you think about the kind of conversation around across the spider-verse and into the spider-verse where you know they have that kind of 
dialogue or, or voiceover that's like, let's do this again. They do like the very quick like, I'm Miles Morales. This is how I became a spider person. And this yeah. is, you know what I mean? And it's Fourth like, Wally. because we don't need it anymore, because there's been so many Spider-Man movies right. and people are so familiar with in the, the Spider-Man way, lore. Like we, in the same way in the MCU, we didn't need to see Uncle Ben die again. We didn't right. need to see the spider bite again. We assume all those things happen because we've seen Spider-Man stories. I don't think the same is true with X-Men, though. I, but I, di- I don't know because the other X-Men movies exist. Yeah, but that's one instance. You otherwise have now three live action and several different versions of animated series plus the top, like, I don't know. Right, I, so I, you're I, saying you think you need to see, like, Xavier gather all of his students? I would love to, regardless of whether or not I need to or not, because it's also never been done faithfully in any way. Mm. Like, you know... First class was probably the closest to, and the the names were all everywhere. Like Mystique as a founding X Man, get out of here! I love the movie, <laughs> but get out of here! <laughs> yeah, yeah, inter- yeah, interesting, interesting. Fourteen oh seven. Graham Elkin wrote disappointed <gasps> in the box, not about any book in particular, just disappointed. And I'm interested. Uh, he also invited us on his show in the next couple of weeks to talk about the year in comics, and I think oh, we, cool. we will get into it there. Yeah. What are you disappointed sure, sure, sure. about? Captain 2 Michael shouting out the start of last issue of Alpha Flight and the silent intent of action. So mm. Laurent and the intentionality of what he's doing. I thought that was really interesting. Plus, we didn't really take questions for those last couple weeks. Yeah, so yeah. wanted to shout that out here. That's it. That's it. Time those to roll general in. general things. Roll into that X-Men Unlimited? Yeah, let's talk about that Firestar story. That's essentially uh, 113, 114, and 115 are are all the Firestar story. So she's, I mean, I believe 112 is also. Yeah, so she's so begun her Judas Traveler internship, so to basically, speak. Basically, yeah, the subterfuge of the narrative. And we're seeing her put in these difficult situations where she needs to take her ex-partner and... Justice. And capture him and yeah. uh and the lie continuing the lie that is her and and just i think what's really interesting across these three issues is her struggle with it mm-hmm. and and how she's acknowledging how easy it is to do these things yeah when she says like it's just getting easier and easier to lie but it's also interesting because she is still allowing herself to play into her heroic elements right yes. she's still not letting She's still disobeying Traveler as he predicted, though. So they're both kind of playing this check, check, counterpoint, you know, setting up to have Firestar intervene and be the hero that they Orcus wants her to be because she works for them. Like she not all mutants. Right. You know, like. Right. It's it's a really interesting sub narrative that ties to the overall. I agree. And the, the controlling of the press. I feel like this is on full display. And it's interesting that we see, right? So this is Orlando and Fox working together. Orlando has always been the narrative pedal, mm-hmm. right? He, he reintroduced Judas Traveler in Giant Size Thunderbird. He brought in Mutant First Strike, kind of the, the larger yeah. narrative of being manipulated. And I to really actually, liked that. To actually see the details in this arc of how Judas is manipulating with yes. these planted reporters, with this set up T narrative, recording the angles that don't get published. Like, yeah, and, and not sharing everything with Orcus. Right, because he's controlling it. And that was even part of their suspicion. Can we trust Judas Traveler? Because right. he's he's always been a, a crap guy. He's been here since day one. I think the other thing that I really like about this story with Firestar is that 
I, I get a little like anxious when I read it because she is like pushing the limits. Like right. when she figured out that the, she's also not afraid to die. <laughs> right. When the riot was staged and yeah. she just did what she morally wanted to do anyway and made sure that like the Orcus agents didn't attack the protesters and that there, she was the go between to kind of quell that violence. That was her like pushing her boundaries. And then you see her in the in the last issue, essentially they're going to use justice as an example and they're going to show you how simple it is to just remove the mutant gene and how quick and painless it is. And she's like fiddling with his... Disrupting his power his inhibitor. His power dampener. Yeah. And like just doing it right there in the middle of the thing and it's like okay you know that he that um judas just said that we you know watching you we minimized it but everyone's in the room everyone's watching you and you are the only person who got close to him and now we have this like what's gonna happen and i'm like ooh, fire start like i'm a i'm scared for her you sure and that i feel like is what you should Mm -hmm. be feeling it's it's interesting to think about how jerry did not want angelica to be the winner for that year, right? Right. And, and how he has taken that and turned it into this arc of, you know, because if she hadn't won, would it have resonated anywhere near as you know, she finally regained her spot mm-hmm. in the mutant eye of being of Krakoa, being of the X-Men team, and now being this developed turncoat yeah i feel like would not have existed with as much impact if she hadn't won that vote yeah that's true this was written by steve fox and steve orlando art by guillermo sana colors java tartaglia letters travis lanham bc's travis lanham i believe we've got one or two more uh, issues of this Mm. The, the show and the heartbreak must go on is the tease for our next one are you liking this i am yeah i do i like it a lot I think it's interesting because this is, you know, one of the, really the second arc that is tied so directly into the fall of X as it's actively going on. I feel like X-Men Green initially was like, yeah, we're Krakoa adjacent, we're happening yeah. here, but less so in involved in the current narrative, right? Yeah. Curse was there, Nature Girl was there, you see some ramifications elsewhere, but this is in lockstep something that's coming out at the same time as the issues that it relates to. I also like it because it's like a it's like a side story, sure, right. you know, like it's we are focused on the X-Men and their struggle, but we have this like agent on the side, so we're getting little clips of like what is she up to in the background. Yeah. And it does affect the overall narrative, but it is separate enough that it can be its own entity, which I really like. You ready to talk Predator versus Wolverine, which apparently you do not like. If and... I have to. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's this is a high level comic. Yeah. Right. This is a it's interesting because this is kind of like a, a Legends comic. Yes. But it's a Legends comic. And when I say that, like a like a classic throwback, mm-hmm. different story in continuity, but has almost even less uh, less feeling that it could be official canon that we're developing. Oh right. yeah, Predator's been here the whole time the whole and time. is actually part of the reason why Logan's journey is what it is and right. has been inserting himself at various times. Yeah, and I, I had said this to you um, the other day after I read the comics because when you look at the poll resu- results, right, like Realm of X, oh wait, it, Predator wasn't in there. Right. But Realm of X didn't have a high percent and neither did Miss Marvel. But... Realm of X is, is a side quest story 
Predator versus Wolverine is a side quest story in a sense. Like they don't really have big impacts on what's happening in the Fall of X narrative. However, some people are going to like one more than the other just based on the characters that they like and the type of story that they like, right? Predator versus Wolverine is an action. It's basically an action movie. It's X-Force. It's but it is, it's Wolverine. but it isn't. It's, 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 it's Wolverine the comic, just a, a classic story. Right, yeah. And so if you're, like, I think Wolverine is great, but I don't need to read a million stories of him just, like, brawling and fighting and, like, getting down to, like, and then we smell the blood of our hunt. Like, I don't need 500 stories like that. However, other people don't need, like, 500 magical quest stories either, sure. right? So. What's funny? It's funny. We read it because you said we have to read we every story. We do have story. to. We do have to. And I think the big distinction between those two titles that you're calling out is one is advertised as part of the larger banner of current mm-hmm. comics. One has the Fall of X title on it. The other has 20th Century Studios, which who even knows what that means, right? What does it mean? It's just the offshoot, hey, we got new toys mm-hmm. and we're smashing them together in the sandbox. But, I mean, for it was at one point, right, the number one comic. So there are people who really gravitate towards these stories. And just because that's not me doesn't mean that was, it's a bad comic. I was talking to a guy at the shop. He was there and bought it for Predator, not right. at all Wolverine, right? Yeah. I was there for Wolverine. Mm-hmm. I don't care about Predator. Yeah. He's cool, but I don't care about this matchup. It's interesting to see how this feeds into, right, the the – connections between the predator hunting his adamantium the brain control Mm -hmm. being inspired off of the interface that the predator has uh so the weapon x technology being upgraded essentially because of that yeah even even the further ties to japan and that time that logan was training with yes yeah i I also think it's interesting that weapon x branches out from mutants in this way right like they they also want to experiment on and want to manipulate Predator. Yeah, so, they, want, they want any kind of power they can get. Right. So it's interesting to kind of see that that expand. Oh, and, so it's interesting, huh? You, uh, you like it, huh? No. <laughs> interesting and like are two different things. Oh, I know. It's all the semiotics of syntax and what it is. So, I mean, is there anything else we have to cover? No, that was intent. They... they they fight each other. They hunt each other. Yeah, we're done. It's bloody. <laughs> <We're good. laughs> Wait, I, I do want to talk about one part that I did sure. like, which was that essentially Wolverine created like a bubble cloud of his own smoke in the depths of the sea to escape the predator of his own blood. Yes. And I thought that was I mean, it's clever. Smart. It's, yeah, it's him being an intelligent fighter and, and having all this years, all these years of kind of war training and black ops training and but this was written by benjamin percy art by ken lashley hayden sherman and kaizama color art by juan fernandez and alex guamarez letters cory petit this is cory petit marco coquetto on the cover i think we only have one more of these left so it'll it'll be done soon enough. this too shall pass it's all a moment in time are you ready for some round? I am. I don't care what anyone says. I loved this issue. I mean, this issue was good. This issue 
I would say, especially out of the first three, stuck the landing. Mm-hmm. I think the the stumble came in issue three with both the concoctions of the plot and the speedy sloppiness of the art. But yeah. no, this this issue from start to finish, it still begs the question of what did we get from this? What was the point? Was it just kind of like a romp for these fun ladies? We and talk about it at the end. Sure, and the dark magic, which, yeah, fire, yes, mm-hmm. great. That will likely be that payoff later on. But this cover, one of my favorite covers of the series, the covers in general of Realm of X have been killer. And yeah. honestly, beyond us wondering what this means for anything, I thought just this this issue was good. Yes, it was a great issue. Yeah. Shall we dig into it? Yes. Page turn noise. Lady Sif sees the war. The the walls that were shattered because of Curse's outburst at the end of last issue have now rippled throughout the realms. Yes, thank you, Curse, because Danny's calls can be answered now. And we immediately have a title page. Hear the war horns blare. The Promised Day, written by Torun Gronbeck, art by... Diogenes Neves and Rafael Pimentel, color art, Rain Barreto and Proto Bunkers Dono Sanchez Alamara, letters Clayton Coles. She sees Clayton Coles. Stephanie Hans on the cover. Please, more covers from Stephanie Hans. Mm hmm. Saturninus P.O.'d. She yeah. is mad at Curse. Well, they're kind of going at it, right? Mm-hmm. So, Curse as basically, you're not my real mom. Yeah. Right? Later, we'll get into it. Yeah. And this just kind of throwing back all of the things in Saturnine's face, well, they were looking for me. They are my friends. Yeah. What, is that dust yeah. trapped in there? Yeah. Curse is like done being manipulated. She sees the light now. She's over it. And she's ready to make a run for it as she breaks the jar, lets dust free and tangle with Saturnine, and we catch up with dark magic. Yes. There's no other magic left for our magic to pull from so all she can pull is that dark dark magic which i think is a really interesting parallel to and there's a couple of lines of dialogue that specifically connect to her miniseries her Mm. original miniseries iliana and storm yeah and trying to create an acorn and now she's using this magic that's given to her to recreate or or rebuild life throughout this realm Mm -hmm. i thought it was really interesting yes yeah. Saturnine is going through a power struggle in her own. Yeah. Just to maintain some kind of control over her plots and what she's wanting to do. Because now she knows. Like, she's been essentially trying to put off the prophecy. She doesn't want the war. She just wants to she just get wants the to, power. Yeah, yeah. Steal power in a vacuum and have nothing to do with... Literally, the realm is focused on prophecies and right. you're just going to say no i'm here to do my own thing i'm saturnine like, right I don't, I don't i don't follow anyone's rules i write my own story i'm a knockoff white queen yeah basically data page basically summarizing uh, summarizing what we're talking about the plan and plot of saturnine what she intends to do Mm-hmm. okay typhoid mary A little stolen moment listen your husband is like punching himself in the face with a steel bar because he wants to stop at nothing to get you back. And you're over here frolicking with this dude. Stolen kiss, madam. So she's in love with her sparring partner. Eh, in love. She's in lust. She's, yeah. You know, right place, right time. It's the vault. You know, it's oh, basically God. the vault. 
Yeah. And then the ships arrive. Right. This is kind of crazy technology as this tear through space comes and all of these war-ready machines start to invade the realm and all-out battle takes Mm -hmm. out. We're fighting. That's the one thing I really loved about this issue was like the pacing. It just got more and more intense. It was like, go, get it. Like this is the action sequence. That we've been waiting for the series. Yeah. This is the the final. There's been pips of it, but this is the actual, hey, bad person is doing their full plan and bringing in all the evil from their other setup. Uh, curse about to be attacked and then they just turn into goopy dark magic bodies because magic destroys them. Which is cool, both as a flex of magic's powers and a save for curse, I think is interesting. You know, we see and get past to magic a little understanding of what Saturnine was trying to Mm do, harnessing this large amount of power coming from another realm. Mm-hmm. And what I think is interesting, too, is the way that this issue progresses. We start to understand a little bit more why exactly Saturnine wanted Curse. Because what she ends up doing in the end is for magic is what right. Saturnine wanted her to do. She wanted to manipulate the power as a sacrifice of herself in some way. Because it is going to be a great pain to be able to do something good. That's mm-hmm. how Curse's power works. We've got more fights and more angry saturnine i gotta say i kind of like her like medieval knight version of her costume it's it's cooler than just i found something in emma's closet yeah i swiped this from emma frost yeah but it was like a different emma frost from earth 722 and yeah and so now you know saturnine is just she's done she's like just take take all these people down it's my time. Yeah, the battle erupts even further as it continues. The ability to use this dark magic to fight, to curse people on the battlefield. We get our epic moment of the whole team back together. Yep. A reunion of sorts. And then, speaking of epic team coming in, Thor and team bringing the lightning. Okay, curse calling Thor an NPC. Yes. Hysterical. Like, who talks like that? That is some medieval like thou dost need to go to the tavern to meet i love i love at the end of the show when thor's like what is an npc what is that tell me more am i not a real person (laughs) the tide turns right the the reinforcements arrive and the battle continues they are just going after this power and curse does that hail mary that you alluded to and powers up magic in the way that saturnine wanted the boost yes and we ooh, this made me so happy because i knew it i knew magic had to play a large role in this story because why else would she be there if she was so sad the whole time and just having her be filled with this power and then to see her give it back to the realm the noble thing to do glorious right i, I live for it i don't know if this resolves our our wondering of her powers, her abilities, no, the nanites, the, the ability to do her teleportation. Even they leave the realm because of the Bifrost. Right? What I think is interesting is that this is, you know, people were saying in the beginning, right? We were having this conversation about, but she's still magic. She should still be able to do something. She ha- And also she yes. has all these other resources. So this was I am people. her kind of 
grappling with the fact that she lost her sense of power, she lost herself, and then she evolved by remembering that there's other ways to tap into her power. So I'd be interested to see if through this journey, her power set changes in some way. Um, or her wielding of her power changes in some well, way. Well, especially if this awakens a little bit of the darkness within her, mm-hmm. right? And then she is it. she has that ability to tap into the dark child side, the, mm-hmm. the dark magic side. I feel like that's definitely something that is set up here to be able to play out with magic's character going forward. Yeah. Would be cool. I feel like that's almost one of the biggest takeaways is, hey, yeah, magic's got another thing that she can have at her disposal, mm-hmm. but it could come at a cost. Speaking of costs... Bonus is dead. Who cares? Yeah, he's dead. Except for Mary. Typhoid Mary, sorry, but you're going to have to go back to your husband. But Curse is not dead, even though Curse did hurt herself. In in using her powers for good, she always hurts herself. So I'm also interested to see how that plays out with Curse going forward. An interesting redemption arc for her because she's always been, like, she needs to be bad to feel good, essentially. Right. I'm just interested in this, like, kind of self-sacrificing version of herself that she's becoming. Yeah. Saturnine throwing shade as she walks out the door. And, mm-hmm. Hey, you really, you wasted all that power. And then she's like, ha, 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 you'll see me again. Until next time. <laughs> Bye. As we get our, our closing conversations, Curse and Thor, the mutants get an update on Krakoa, and it really inspires them to need to be there that much yes, more. Yes, yeah. They have to go fight for their people, so they're headed They're headed through the Bifrost back to Midgard. Yeah, Midgard. A future returned, but it's cloudy for mutants. We don't know. The, the prophecy is untold for what is in mutant future. I also really like this sort of ending data page where they're like, yeah, we have prophecies, but are they always accurate? Not so much. Not so much. You can't, you don't know. One thing leads to another. Doom is on... Uh, our Krakoan, our, our next step, mm-hmm. that is the next X-Men issue. What would you think? I, like I said, I really loved this issue. I thought the pacing was great. I I thought the action was great. I was living for the art. Um, and I'm really excited to kind of see what happens, like where in time and where physically these mutants are going to get dropped off mm. in the... That's a good question. Orcus of it all, right? right? Yeah. Like, how where does, are they going to end up? How is Sif able to send as specifically to mm-hmm. wherever she's sending them? I think that's an interesting point. I'm excited for them to get back in the mix. I will say that in the beginning of this arc, I was really excited for Danny to be in this. Danny and Marrow, I feel, got kind of yes, like they fell into the shadows of the story. They had However, some cool action points in the beginning, but yeah. Yeah, I, I do think that there was so much going on here that it was difficult to, Juggle. like you can't talk about Curse and Magic and Saturnine's plot and like the the falling of this entire civilization and give Danny and Marrow and Dust, like, yeah, and was, Mary, uh... like all those highlights. But I did appreciate, so though I wish that Dust and Marrow and Danny did get a little bit more... I think Dust Time. probably of those three had... Yeah, had the most. But I did appreciate getting to know Mary a little bit more because sure. with the tie-in of Kingpin and their relationship and how much of a role he's playing, I do think we need to know about her. I do think we need to feel connected to her a little bit. Sure, yeah. So, I still, though, 
though I don't think there were a lot of um, very prominent or in-your-face connections to the overarching fall of X, I think that the journey of transformation for magic and curse are going to be interesting once they get back in the mix and also where Mary falls in things. Where she falls is on that poster of Gang War, and we'll mm-hmm. see how quickly she runs back to Kingpin's side and what she reveals. I, I do, you know, I, I think about this in a sense of I don't drop X Men titles. I, I can't compulsively. Right. I, I am a completionist, and you we have this podcast. Them. So, but I do think about it, mm-hmm. right? Is this a title I would have dropped if I did not have those compulsions? Right. And I don't think so. Honestly, I enjoyed issue one a lot. I thought issue two was a fine follow-up. Issue three is the only one that things got shaky, right? I I think I would have, knowing that there was only this final issue, I would wanted to stick it out. Mm -hmm. I also really like the high fantasy of it all. I think that that is in the same way that at the start of Dawn of X, not all titles are for all people. Right. And Excalibur was that high fantasy and it, this still fills that niche, right? If you're that reader that wants that type of story, which clearly Alicia is, yes. um, <laughs> this is that title for you. And I feel like it does a good enough job taking a, a great cast, mixing them up. I think not many solo moments to merit that large a cast. I think someone points it out in the comments that maybe one less on mm-hmm. the cast would have been the ability would have given the ability to highlight more of them in their roles. But I think everybody got like a little shout out, a little moment in a way that was interesting. The other thing that I think is interesting in that vein of like who was selected for this is that everyone else is in the white hot room. Like everyone else that went through the gates, that's where they are. So these characters in particular were selected to not have the same fate as those other characters. So what is that going to mean going forward? I just think that's like, obviously in the in terms of the fall of X, like going to this other realm doesn't do anything for the betterment of mutants, right? For saving them in that story. But why were these characters specifically chosen to not have the same fate as the characters in the White Hot Room? Well, I think one connection point in terms of connection to the overall story is Thor. Mm -hmm. Thor, who has appeared in his own title, now recruiting Storm to his Thor core, Mm -hmm. who has had panels of him understanding the threat that Orcus poses to Midgard. I think that that is a part of the conversation to consider that, okay, there's some stuff going on. Mm -hmm. Honestly, that was a really helpful series of panels in the latest issue of X-Men Unlimited showing the different heroes reacting to Firestar and what she was Mm, saying and the mutant message. Because I think that that was something that I brought up the other day, uh, last episode or the episode before, was who where are these Avengers and how they fall? Like How Mm -hmm. much do they know about the underground mutant struggle? And I feel like Thor being a piece here connects to some of the other narratives of his story. Yeah. Just as an aside, in that series of panels when Talon was like, maybe Kate should have just killed her. Yep. <laughs> I thought that was very funny. Yeah. Uh, what did you think? Do you like it? Overall thoughts from you on Realm of X? Yeah. I mean, I, I've kind of, I feel like I've kind of gotten to my overall thoughts. It was a good ending to a four ser- mm-hmm. four issue series the questionable as to what it means for the line as a whole but that shouldn't be the only reason why you buy a title right 
do you buy this title because you feel like it's necessary to the overall story? Well, then I feel like that's been the narrative for the entire Cohen era is that not all titles are necessary to the overall story. Right. Finding what those are is a little difficult for the consumer, right? Understanding, okay, I can I cannot read this or this is going to be big or impactful. Just gravitate towards the characters and the setups, the teases that you're interested in, and that will pay off your interest. It's interesting because in that lead up you know that was kind of me teeing off my overall thoughts was would i have dropped this title oh yes right iceman i would have dropped yeah so that i didn't right Right. (laughs) because we're here because we must continue on i would have yeah perspective yeah (laughs) darren Wright's story said realm of x was a book (laughs) (laughs) indeed it it was Barusu33 wants to know what's next for Saturnine. And, I mean, that's interesting. I think she's kind of off on the shelf to mm-hmm. be able to come back in whenever the writers, the the line, the world wants or needs her to be some kind of woman scorn searching for power because that's kind of the role that she's playing. She's yeah. just trying to set up camp. It's true. Ashkan91 doesn't understand the point of Realm of X. How will it impact the larger Fall of X narrative? And I think that that's kind of been guiding a lot of our conversation is – it might not. You know, mm-hmm. it might not. It doesn't necessarily need to. Uh, the section banners, I feel, have been taken to mean that this is going to be a big deal mm-hmm. versus this is one of the stories that we're telling at this time. Yeah. In the same way that like, okay, so you could look at things like Children of the Vault that played a little closer to the heart of the Fall of X story yeah. because it's involving Orcus, because it's involving the Children of the Vault, mm-hmm. because they're kind of... But at the end, what did that do? It just kind of sewed more yeah, like support the children, for Orcus. Right, because the children just... They, they went back into the vault, so there was no... You know, there was the possibility at one point that they might go after Orcus and that would be... When when Cable and Bishop sort yep. of pit the two against each other, like that would be beneficial for the mutants if the children did something to take down Orcus in a way, but they didn't. So what does it all mean anyway, you know? But at the same time, it's like there's also that thread of the children and the vault itself that people wanted to feel like they got some closure on. Which I think is interesting comparison to this this was not a thread that anybody was like, oh, I wonder what Saturnine's right. up to. Oh, I wonder. <laughs> Nobody you know, like, cares. Right. And I feel like that's why this is a bit of a harder sell as to why it makes sense in this overall landscape. There was an interview with Jordan D. White where he was talking about how they had a bunch of pitches for miniseries to take place in this. Mm-hmm. A bunch that did not get made. Why was this chosen? To Because it filled this niche of storytelling, because these characters to be build them into the narrative because the arc that it sets magic on at yeah, the end. Yeah, because the rumors are true and magic needed some sure. more journey so she could get to be where she's gonna be. Yeah. <laughs> Warline calling out, Vonos, my man, you weren't killed by the opposing army but by Wilson Fisk and honestly, you deserve it. Mary, did you forget that Fisk's true love was Vanessa and he choked her to death not very long ago in oh, a geez. Spider-Man story? Yeah. Uh, Warline was the one calling that this could have been a little shorter and or with fewer characters because that would have focused the narrative mm-hmm. a bit. I think the the book length was fine, but yes, it was because you have your big bad in the castle building up their attack plan. Mm-hmm. I think it was interesting because of the weaving prophecies and everything like that. But uh, he also goes on to talk about how this was built heavily on the reader 
having emotions or or being attached to curse and her mm. f- and I, I think that's absolutely right and and hard to do for a character who is still very much so new in the narrative i think there's a little bit more of a hook in her than some of the iraqi people that people are responding to right because she's been here since the start she was in marauders number one yeah that and was her first you, appearance if you read x-men green sure you got more attached to curse. Right. So if you've been following her story over the Krakoan era, maybe you care. Maybe you don't. Could it have been any other small moppet of a mutant? Who knows? Right. I, I think continuing to explore her power is the part that interests me mm-hmm. is because she has a unique power. But Vaderino wonders if Mero even had any lines in this issue. I'm happy she got screen time, but give mm-hmm. me something to chew on. Which I would agree. I think Mero in this issue had nothing. And right. relatively overall was just the stabby Wolverine type that had yeah. no lines. And Magic still can't use her stepping discs, so that's upsetting. Yes, it is. But maybe somehow she'll get them back. Maybe that's something that Sink and Talon with their in tech, whatever they're doing technically behind the scenes can help Magic out with. We shall see. On to Miss Marvel, the new mutant, Ooh-wee. number four. Now, Someone. this cover is some kind of homage cover. Ah, uh, sure. Dead mutants on the ground. You know, it honestly reminds me of uh, one of the, I think it was Powers of Ten, number six, mm. where Moira's walking on the dead mutants everywhere. Yeah. It seems that none of these covers for Miss Marvel have had anything to do with the issues themselves. Yeah, you know, which is, just you kind know, of, my biggest upset. Sure, yeah. They're just kind of like last mutant standing type feel mm-hmm. right as you have all this death all around them marvel is someone's listening i continue to get versions two versions of this issue redeemed when i do my code you Beautiful. get the unlimited scroller and the actual pages to be able to panel view and pop around so that's great that's development i love that for you here we go page turn noise <laughs> Kamala's a mutant, and it sucks. Destruction mm. everywhere. Yeah, so we're picking up pretty much right where we left off. So now that her little dream sequence has uh, led them to her as Miss Marvel, a sentinel is here to destroy, and she must fight. You do science, Bruno. I'm going to go smash. Mm-hmm. I love Bruno and Kamala as a team. They're yeah. Great. Title page. Mutant detected. Extermination in process. What it means to be a mutant. Written by Iman Vellani and Sabir Perzada. Art by Carlos Gomez and Adam Gorman. Colors Eric Arseniega. Letters Joe Caramagna. This is Joe Caramagna. Sarah Pacelli and Matthew Wilson on the cover. A lot of great fighting scenes. Not a whole lot. Like, honestly, I was going through this issue... Jotting down notes. Yeah. There's a lot that's just this big battle, which I think is good because, yeah. you know, this is her really fighting the tyranny that is being a mutant. Yeah. And I think it's also her kind of, there's a lot of inner monologue here of her being like, oh, I wish I was more prepared. And ooh, like I fought this already with all of the X-Men and we had a hard time. So like, how can I do this? It's like a confidence boost for her in a way. Right. And throughout this fight, Bruno on the sidelines is is rallying the students. Which I think was a really great twist to a couple of things, right? So Bruno talking to all the students and saying, hey, like, I'm helping Miss Marvel and them all reacting. Why? Right. She's a mutant. You, you know, you are all supposed to be scientifically awakened and advanced people, you know, 
and you are just feeding into the bigotry narrative that's been put out there by Orcus mm -hmm. and just saying, yeah, I know, mutant equal bad. Meet right, upset, science right. equal bad or science equal good. And I think yeah. that it's interesting to blur the lines here because we use science for the benefit of mutants for the first time in a while, right? right. We actually use science and scientists who are recruited by Orcas, who likely would be the next generation of hate-mongering right, right. anti-mutant guys. But now they are standing up for Miss Marvel in a way, whether it's just, you know, mm -hmm. mob mentality or, yeah, Bruno told us to do this thing. But they're saving her and by proxy saving the school and getting that reveal at the end. Yeah, like I really enjoy the kind of questioning of like, aren't you supposed to be people of investigation and data and intelligence proof and like you're just using the word of Orcus. You don't have any proof. You haven't you haven't seen the data. Like, what are you going off of? Aren't you supposed to be questioning? And then. You know, we're like, oh, yeah, let's all come together and let's build this thing together. Let's and do science. They have the moment where Kamala is asked to take this thing and plug it into the Sentinel, but then only has five seconds to get away. And even throughout that, she has her like, I'm going to cover you all from this rubble. Yeah. So hero sacrifice. Basically. Even though the majority of this issue is this battle, what we're seeing is sort of a slight turn of the tide in humanity humanity and her understanding like what it is to be a mutant that's been the arc of this, oh, yeah, yeah. Of this i mean that, that's really the new mutant is her becoming the mutant this mm -hmm. stretch armstrong shot of miss marvel <laughs> the entire time like i've been watching one piece yes. on a binge and i could not not see luffy here yeah and true. just the gum gum powers being stretched across like this so it's funny when you when you call her stretch armstrong because she says oh i i don't think I could be ripped apart, right? Stretch like, Armstrong can be ripped apart. Indeed. My mom used to tell me and my brother, don't play tug of war with that because it's going to rip. And we were like, mom, you stretch Armstrong. And then one day we were both holding one arm, pulling on opposite sides. And it like the arms both snapped off and we like fell backwards. And it was. That's what you get for not listening to your mom. Exactly. Boom, boom, boom. Explosion, explosion. Reveal secret lab underneath the school the whole time. Yeah. Reveal secret lab. And. Um, also come face to face with Omega Sentinel, who's not doing so hot. Because of all the, the Trojan backlash. And yes. I thought this was, you know, this really underscores the struggle of what it means to be immune. Is that, or at least an X-Man, mm -hmm. what that mantle means. It's not yes. just... It's not just fighting for mutants, but it's also not turning into the hatred that is your oppressor. Not killing Omega Sentinel in this moment when she has the opportunity to do so but saying and, and making taking that stand that I'm, I'm not going to be as evil as you are right and omega sentinel just flat out saying like as long as you have that x on your uniform like this is your life now so it's true get used to it we get a a little moment okay it's happening now i would like kate to warm up to kamala <laughs> Too bad. She's cold. She's cold as ice. She's she has no sharp, heart. sharp as knives. She's like, yeah, right. Kind of good job. <laughs> Rasputin. I love what Rasputin says here. Destruction of school property. Yeah, destruction of school property. Yeah, we're seeing everybody kind of have their reactions to Kamala, and you know, you took down a sentinel by yourself. Not bad. Not bad, Catherine. Yeah, right. That is great. Do not refuse this child a high five. Yeah. What's going on? She needs it. Please. I'm upset. And also. So this, timeline-wise, this story had to have happened before Kamala and 
Kate and Wolverine go to Latveria. Right. Which makes sense why this has to wrap up before we get the next issue of of X-Men. X-Men, yeah. I'd agree with that. And then we have our little little epilogue moment. Yes, Miss Gaiha, who gets the scolding, but also reveals her secret plot, the... What will likely carry over into our next title, The Mutant Menace. It's written by the same creative team, different mm-hmm. art team. But I think that that's interesting to show that she is actually analyzing Kamala and what she's able to do. Right. Like this. Well, we have to get data before we can take her down. Data is beautiful. Data is beautiful. And is she going to find out what Miss Marvel's mutant power could be before the the question is up you know? uh, yeah and i have mixed feelings about this final interaction between emma and kamala because i love that kamala is accepting of her whole self and she's saying like i don't need a label i am all of these things because emma basically says like your mutant power sort of went to sleep it never fully developed and now you're developing an additional mutant power and we can kind of like we could do two things we could force that along and it can take over and your other powers will cease to exist or we can help it cohabitate with your other powers. And Kamala is very much like if it wants to show up, it'll show up and I'm not going to push it. And I think that that's interesting for her as a character, but also infuriating to me as a reader because I, I want to know right, what it sure. is. Yes. <laughs> yes. But she gets her bangle back. Yeah. She gets her bangle back and she has a classic Miss Marvel end where, you know, Jersey City, family, teenage drama, falling asleep. Oh, yeah. yeah. And the little aside from Emma of like, I knew about your dreams the whole time. Which was great. I couldn't. You want me to solve all your problems? No, no. I can just. I'm here if you need me. If it got out of hand, I would have. You didn't need me. Right. You were having bad dreams. Get out of here. (laughs) Again, doom on the other side, which is interesting because we do have Kamala and Kate going into that story from right, which is like crazy because it's like okay, you know that they are in Latveria, so what if the Realm of X team also gets dropped off in Latveria? Oh, that'd be cool. And would I don't know that they need reinforcements these three especially, but it's just interesting that that was the like follow up issue in that series as well. Unless it's just that this Doom issue is huge, and that's why we're pointing to it for everyone. I think it's it's. The ongoing in a sea of minis as mm. everything else is closing off. Yeah. And a number of other ones that just said, follow the fall. Right. right. Yeah. But, yeah. What'd you think? I loved it. This is this is a really great title. And I've been really enjoying Miss Marvel as a character entering the mutant universe. And I was really bummed when, you know, we were talking about what are the issues that we would want to keep going and I'm really happy that she's getting another title, like a renewed title, and we're going to continue to see. Right. This story continue, but with a slight change. And I feel like that's the other thing, You know, going back to this conversation of a new mini restarting mm-hmm. versus Miss Marvel number five. Right. Right. You get to go into it with a new per- new energy. She is a changed person. Yeah. Now. And especially it's not going to start until, I think, March so we'll get the fallout of whatever happens in that area. We'll get other energy mm-hmm. going into that title to see where Kamala picks up there. Yeah. And I mean, there are so many like interesting debates in my mind about her getting this title and her becoming a mutant. And oh, yeah. what about other mutants that should be getting their own titles and all of this? But 
I really love Kamala as a character so selfishly I'm really excited that she's in the books that I read regularly and I'm not picking up something that's not an X book because right now I get to read Miss Marvel and she's also a mutant so sure I'm not mad about it no just make Spider-Man a mutant so that we can all cover and read Amazing Spider-Man and or anything else that's going on with Spider-Man do we know is it's the same creative team, so Iman is going to continue to it's be the same writing. writing team. Yes, okay. Iman and Sabir will be co-writing. That's awesome. Which I love. I think that. is good and continues to develop Iman's voice for comics creation and specifically Kamala. I think it's great. I, yeah, I just think that that's so cool because she plays Kamala in the MCU. So her like, she's just fully embodying the character, and I think that she does such a great job. Like she is part of the reason why I love Miss Marvel so much. Sure. The way that she portrays her in all the live action stuff really is what my original connection to the character was. So having that pull as her voice in the comic as well, even though they're not necessarily following the same storyline, it's the voice of the character feels really genuine and something that I feel like I can tie to. And I just, I love that she gets to infuse that. And I just think it's, there, there's no one else that does that, right? There's no other person who is embodying this character in a live action form who's also writing it no uh there's no one else that does that this is the first that in some way there may be at least in marvel i think there may be someone who like has voiced something Mm. that was also involved in something else but in in dc but it's interesting because i think that the one criticism the one criticism i have of it is the close parallel tracks and interweaving mm. nature of MCU and comic stories in a real-time fashion. Right. And even how recently they just said, well, we're not trying to poach what's happening in the comics. We're not trying to... It just feels like one's directing the other a little too tightly mm. that I don't love, yeah, I love because I, I would like them to be separate stories. I would like the comics to be further inspiring what will come down the line five, ten years or so mm-hmm. in the in the movies, in the live action stuff, even in the animation. But that's just more of like a personal me thing. Overall, I thought the issue was good. I thought it was a bit lighter of a read because it was a majority of the issue being mm-hmm. this fight between Kamala and the Sentinel with science team on the side. Yeah. Decent internal monologue that is kind of thesis statement of the miniseries as a whole right Mm -hmm. her struggling with all of the pressures of being a mutant and in addition to all of the pressures of being all the other labels that she falls into yes how to manage that how to balance that how to find who you are as an individual i think as that metaphor it was good Mm -hmm. Um, as an overall like x book it was light on that but Mm -hmm. it helped to build out a little bit of like kind of like an orcus sub story Mm mm-hmm the other thing I would wanted to say, but I didn't want to cut you off about her um, Iman writing it, is that Miss Marvel writes fan fiction, sure, right, like of herself in comics. So that is also cool that like Ms. Marvel is writing fan fiction. Mm. It's just fun. Bruiser thirty three saying it for all of us. Miss Marvel being a mutant has been so much more fun than I could have imagined. Yay! I just I would agree with that. You know, even reservations aside about how that intertwines with the MCU, I think the stories and the characters that she's now coming into contact with because of that are a benefit to her stories overall. And largely the mutant story is that, hey, we have this frontline Marvel, like capital M Mm -hmm. Marvel, not capital M mutant character. 
that is now a part of the mix. Yeah, I think I agree. it's hard because it it pulls potential focus and you know it, it even kind of I feel like lessens her ability to just be like a marquee Marvel character. But you know, I don't know, confliction. Mm-hmm. Warland thought this was a good issue. I hate the MCUification, but whatever. Kamala's conversation with Karima is so good, especially as we see that Kamala knows that hatred can easily breed hatred. And I think that that is the point that we were talking about at that end: is that like her hating Kamala, her hating Karima, is only going to perpetuate that hatred even further. I'm I'm interested in what the MCUification is because you also mentioned it, and I don't know exactly what you're referring to. The fact that they are in real time both telling the mutant story of Kamala Khan. It's just the the fact that she is a mutant now in comics because they've alluded to that in the cinematic universe. It just but feels like... Not, but they're not related stories. Sure. It doesn't have to be the same narrative beats, but the overall direction of the character is mirroring in a way. Hmm. One is still very much so further down the line in terms of narrative, and a lot more has developed for that character in the comics. But it very much so pointed them in the same direction. Okay. Vaderino, did I hate it? No. Did it really add anything to the overall narrative of X-Books? Also, no. And I would agree with that. I think, you know, the one thing that it did add is the Orcus sub base Mm -hmm. and who this now new scientist added to the mix. They've got another angry scientist on there and, and a smart one, too, who mm-hmm. is doing the work to, to discover. I uh, thought it was fun. I didn't hate it either. I actually you know enjoyed it. But yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting few months as we get to the end of the fall of X and into whatever is next, because I feel like a general criticism of Krakoa. The Krakoan era was like, there are too many books and you have to read them all because they're all interrelated and it's too much to handle. And now that we're getting into stories that don't really, like they live in that universe, but they don't affect other books. I feel like the more general consensus is like, did I really need to read that? Because it doesn't affect whatever. And that's interesting to me because I feel like, I don't know, like we can't have both, right? And so if it's, if, we're, if they're transitioning to a way where you can just read one title that you like and you don't have to read all these other books, is that so much of a bad thing? The problem is there's no clarity as to which ones are the side stories and which ones are the narrative heart of the overarching story, right? To, to just have the only distinguishing factor be they all say Fall of X, nothing's telling me that Realm of X is not going to come back in with any huge narrative impact. Next time magic shows up, there's going to be an editor's note. There's going to be something in the mm-hmm. in the intro text that's going to say, yeah, well, magic's crazy dark powers came to her in their moment of need and Vanaheim and all this right, stuff. Right, right. So then you get that feeling after the fact. And then as a reader, you're kind of curious. It's like, okay, even, you know, money is an issue. Right, of course. You know, and, and the amount that you can devote to entertainment. And, right. and what is, you know, I, I read Wolverine... Predator and Wolverine in six minutes. I timed yeah. myself. I read it in six minutes. I didn't read it a second time. Right. Didn't have to. <laughs> like I yeah. flipped through it and looked at pictures. But like, where is my investment and where is it going to pay off in the story? And I think that, you know, to your point, they've been saying that about the Krakoan era since the start. You don't have to read all titles. Right. But you feel like you get payoff if you are. And yeah. you feel like you're missing out if you're not. 
did that carry through the fall of X? Unclear. Right. So I guess, yeah, so so from Marvel's standpoint, it would be nice to have some sort of indication of which are the key books and which are like the supplementary books, but... They don't want to do that because they right. want you to buy them all. Right, because they want you to buy them all. So it's, it's, it's just, it feels like a little paradox of like, yep. we want one thing and then when we get that thing, then we want the other thing. Yep. You know? Difficult. I just like to bring up all points. Sure. Speaking about bringing up all points, let's bring up all histories. Oh, baby. As we transition into our book of the week, X-Men Blue Origins number one. Mm. The final of the three. Are you ready to dive in and talk they did? (laughs) You know, that little one-shot page. For the conversation of the year, maybe. Yeah, potentially. Definitely... The most interesting reveal for a character's history mm-hmm. for this year, I would say. And uh, something that you know, many, mo- most often, most reactions have been positive mm. of this, right? The, most people love it. They This was the original intent of Chris Claremont. Oh, really? This was that, yes. So let, what? Let's, let's rip the Band-Aid off. Let's talk about this in a revealed state, right? You know, I, I put up the, the meme. Very, very happy with oh myself. Oh, my God, that Maury meme. Maury Povich, if you don't know. Go, is, to the, is, go to the Instagram and look at the meme if you haven't seen it. Because that was probably... So I made that on Friday with my last half hour of work time. <laughs> I was <laughs> like, you know what? This, this When you get inspired yeah and you just have to do something you must i please i know that feeling the, the improviser in me is you know hitting myself on the back of the hand because of how clever i i was you know it, it's looked down on or, or not uh not looked to be celebrated cleverness right mm-hmm. like, Ooh, I, I did a little thing uh but just the the clean edit and it was the, great the kind of pulling of and playing with the maury reveal of who's the father Mm -hmm. Uh, i was very happy with it but we are talking about the fact that mystique is not just a shapeshifter she doesn't just become a visual of something else that she is able to essentially rewrite her genetics when she's using her abilities she's a gene shifter a gene shifter yes right so she's able to take inputs from i don't think all of what is now revealed as the retcon was all within Claremont's plan, mm-hmm. right? And especially some sidestepping of the Draco and what that means and how to make that still make some sense. Yes. Azazel's part in it, I think, all because of the, you know, what, 40 years that have happened in between the start and the finish. Difficult. Yeah. To, to just make that clean. But they did as close to his initial intent and what now makes sense canonically across that time so just to clarify because y'all know you're, you're gonna know if you if you don't know you know yeah his original intent was that mystique and destiny were nightcrawler's parents yes that mystique fathered the baby that's insane but it was not allowed in the time i mean the fact that their relationship was not allowed in comics at that time and then to say that mystique had become a man so how did to this impregnate whole, destiny? How did this whole thing come about? Who was like, "Hey, Chris, what was your original intent?" And he was like, "Yo, this was the story." And then there, so I was like, "Yeah, let me write that right quick." I mean, it's been in conversation for a while. Probably came to light before the Draco the story 
came out. So, so the, cool. And just to give and I uh, just to give like a brief, the Draco is the story of Azazel banging his way throughout <laughs> centuries to create teleportation babies that would usher in his kingdom of dominance and bring his powers to this realm in a way that we see a glimpse of would have been terrible. So what I think is so cool about that is that this is now, in my mind, this is not a retcon because it was the original intent. This is just a reveal. Yeah. Um, I think people will um actually at that. And, I know, and, I know, I know. But I'm just, I said scuttlebutt. in my sure, mind. Sure, sure, right, right. And that's all that matters. Right? That was the precursor. <laughs> yes. In my mind, yep. this is not a retcon. Sure. It, it does. So I think especially with the strokes of story that became the Draco and mm-hmm. what was the held continuity for however long that that story has been, which hasn't been very long. You know, that's right. maybe like 15 years. I don't know. Rough guess. Yeah, it's probably right. Based off 15 to 20 years, somewhere around there. That's mm-hmm. when the Draco came out. That's when I was buying comics 15, 20 years ago. And what that established as the continuity this is now retroactively saying was not because Correct. it's now and, right. and i think the idea that it, it tying into claremont's original intent and and then you get a little murky in well are we going to go back and do everyone's original intent because that doesn't doesn't matter largely to it, what matters is what's printed on page right for sure but just the the parameters that you said that like that's what he wanted but it wasn't allowed in yep. comics yep. at that time like that feels like such a beautiful thing for this to be it's almost like if you think about it and like this was the actual history but homophobia decided to cover that up and sure. just say that Azazel was the father because we can't possibly have two women together to create a child that's blasphemy I mean, so we're going to change the story essentially right? yeah and and to even couch it in something that is a little bit more, okay, I, I get that. That makes sense. Destiny and Mystique were always meant to be wives. Right. Was not revealed or canonized until relatively recently that mm-hmm. they were, in fact, wives. And, you know, like the, I want my wife back. Right, and right. The kind of wink and nod in the history of the Marvel Universe when they kiss on panel for the first yeah. time all of that was in the last three to five years yeah that that it's, has been solidified it feels like vindication for them you know like sure that this was their truth is told yeah. now and i would agree with that that this is the truth of the characters that was intent yeah. intended for them all along and so then going back into the a little bit more of the and especially with how it plays out. Anyway, let's get into it. Yeah, let's get into We're it. Talking around it, but let's the, talk about the cover. The first. duo on the cover. It wasn't until I saw it in black and white on the title page that I recognized these as fingers around them. Mm, yeah. Seemingly robot sentinel fingers. I don't know. It does kind of look like in the back. Oh yeah, like the, that's a sentinel. It head. is. Yeah, yeah. Now I see the sentinel head and the eye, especially. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Page turn noise. Hellfire flashbacks. We're, we're setting the scene. Yes. We're making sure if you're just jumping in on this for a Nightcrawler story and you haven't been reading The Fall of X, bold, but right. here is how you can hand wave along and, and say, okay, yeah, Mystique threw yeah, off. Yeah, I think. Mm. 
Baby Banff did a really good job of saying if you picked up this one shot, here's the general information you need to follow along in this story. I think it was needed. I think I Baby Banff rubs me the wrong way throughout this as the, really? the, the chorus recap and just, I don't know, it's just, maybe it's just my dislike of the way that they talk or, mm. I don't know. I loved Baby Banff. Great. Mystique, she fell. She bled, but she didn't die. She Who didn't... saw that coming? Everyone. <laughs> Everyone. <laughs> she disappeared and then immediately. Uh, excuse me. We had an argument or a a little discussion sure. at the Hellfire Gala where I was like, she's not dead. Her body is gone. And you were like, we'll see. We'll see because, yes, I didn't think that she died. You're okay. not gonna kill. You're not gonna kill someone like Mystique off screen and then just say yeah, and that's it. I think the way that they handled it with this unearthing trauma, mm-hmm. this causing things to reveal themselves in her mind was really interesting. But I in no way thought that she was killed by that fall in the same. And even the way that they played it up with Stasis's reaction, mm-hmm. the fact that he called that as red that she's dead, right, was like a a point to clearly Poo-poo. she's not dead. No, she's not dead. She's making moves on an Orca ship and slowly finding her way to New York City where we start to catch up with Nightcrawler and the mutant at large. Don't worry about all this stuff that he's wanted for. Yeah. We all know that it's because of Orcus's involvement, the manipulation of Margali and the ways that they have used her magics to turn him into a demon that was essentially a... a rogue assassin for Orcus in a plot to kill world leaders. Mm-hmm. But you don't need that. You don't need that. All you need is a title page. Lament in Blue. X-Men Blue Origins, written by Cy Spurrier, art by Wilton Santos with Oren Jr. on inks and Marcus Toe. Color art, Ceci de la Cruz. Letters, Joe Caramagna. This is Joe Caramagna. Francis Manapool on the cover. So we get into the conversation. My baby, my baby, it's time for a history lesson. Mm-hmm. You don't know anything. Here's Kirk. the story that you do know, that you might know, that the even the don't you dare say destiny's name yeah. as we try to place this in the overall history that's being established through Kieran's story and Immortal X-Men that places them as Sherlock Holmes back in the day, you yeah. know, together, working together, Almore God, like all these things that happened and are established to happen. How do you make sense of that all? What I really like about what this um, issue does is that we start to see the story. We see these panels told from the story that we know. And yep. then later in the issue, we see the same panels, but through a different lens. Right, the revealed which lens. Which is like, ooh, it kind of feels very... um. Like a Wes Anderson movie, mm-hmm. you know, where you like are seeing the thing and then you go back and it's like change perspective. You see the same thing again, but you're getting a different point of view of the story. It's very cool. So I do, I do want to shout out before we get too far. And I think it's important uh, on the title page. Special thanks to Charlie Jane Anders and Steve Fox, who Cy Spurrier did consult with on this story. And a lot of people are and, and rightfully so, I think. Optics of a lesbian love story mm-hmm. with some connotations in a trans narrative. Yeah. As you have a character who is female presenting, taking a form of a male character to to do this act, yeah. to, to create this child. And 
a lot of people were saying, hey, why was this written by this guy? I mean, I understand why it was written by Cy Spurrier because he has been the one telling Nightcrawler's story right. over the last three years. Why wasn't it co-written by Charlie Jane Anders and or Steve Fox or someone that has the perspective of a queer creator mm-hmm. or a trans creator to be able to tell the side of this that would be a little bit more relative to their story. Right. Agreed. But this but is, it is this good is the, to know that the they note. were consulted. Yes. Yeah. That there was there was help. Right. So we're getting the the story that we we know that Mystique was, you know, she was married to a count. Azazel was there. They did the dirty and she became pregnant and the count became suspicious. This this preview page this was a preview page and seeing the maid in the background with the pregnant belly, everyone was like, what is this? What's going on? Mm, I didn't even catch that at first. I'm not going to lie. Right. And we do see this panel again later on with the explanation that Mystique isn't actually pregnant. Right. She's just sympathy pregnant, essentially, and keeping up airs with the Baron. Right. And then Mystique says, you know. I brought my baby into the woods and then I went to rescue my wife. And Nightcrawler is like, what? what? That's not. That's not the story. Well, no, I'm, I'm telling you the full story. I'm telling you the whole thing. I'm giving you the overload, the, the hazy changes, the the hope sword being a crucial point to this, I think is right. really interesting. Yeah. To have this be what shatters the mental confusion, the, the perforations of the memories, the the additions and changes from Charles later revealed. And it's interesting that what Nightcrawler says is, it is my hope that you will not turn your flame upon me, Raven Darkholm, and that a little borrowed light might help you escape the dark place in your mind that has become your prison. And the fact that I feel like he imbued the sword with that particular hope before handing it to her yeah. is the reason that it had the effect that it does. I'd agree with that. And I think it's really interesting. I think it's really interesting when you get into how each person has felt about this. Right. Right. Kurt has never felt the love of who he assumed was his mother. Mm-hmm. And Raven has carried with themselves this shame, this burden, this feeling of having deserted, this not being able to live the truth that was their story this whole time. Yeah. I think is really interesting. Right. Because we get this shattering image, this beautiful shattering image. How can I help? As Xavier, we get the details of later on. Mm hmm. So let's take it back. It's all let's about Let's look her. at this story a little bit differently. Because Destiny was with me the whole time. The setup, the fact that this is a plot that they had. You would take a husband, you would do something here to gain some political influence, some manipulation of what was going on to, to fight any kind of loneliness that they might experience because they were on such different paths, destiny kind of weaving and, and guiding the futures that she saw fit and mm-hmm. saw necessary for the mutant story. But there was also the fact that they needed to stay together. The The detail of Irene being now a maid working for Christian. Yes, this is how we keep her around. This is how we now see the two of them in this panel revealed to be themselves. The 
actual truth of who Azazel was, the fact that, you know, he, he just couldn't hide the fact that, yeah, I'm a devil guy. I'm trying to yeah. do some crazy things. I thought it was really interesting to to twist that story. The the page that is their kind of lover's confidence mm-hmm. talking about what will be the future of their relationship and how you want us to yes and i think this page is just really beautiful showing mystique in tears as she is coming to the realization of her truth right we, we made, made a, a baby. baby just her and me what huh? like this, the silence of the next panel is kurt is you're breaking my brain what are you talking about honestly while i was reading this my brain was trying to figure out what the answer was going to be before i got there because and you do I... not know the the history of claremont's intention of having right the two right of so i was like okay so they made a baby did mystique somehow like in like my brain was like did she create the baby in her own womb like did she shape shift herself into being pregnant and like did she take some of destiny and put it like you know what i mean like i was trying to figure out how is this possible and the answer is not what I thought. Like the fact that Destiny is the one who actually birthed Nightcrawler yeah. is mind blowingly a huge reveal. Well, sure. And it also, you know, I think that they kind of dance around it. It's funny because I had flipped through a handful of the issues of the Draco for some images for a social post. Mm-hmm. And the, like, it looks as though Mystique is definitely the pregnant person in that. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's her recounting the memories that were altered. Mm-hmm. Right? Her filling in the gaps, as Xavier says later right. on in the issue. Right. And so... The we, science of it all. We learn. We learn how this is happening. And what I really like is that visually, as Mystique is, like, owning her truth and saying, yeah. this is how I did it. She's shedding the layers of her disguise and she's just, I'm Mystique. This I'm is Mystique. who I am. Skulls this is- on the waist. Right. You know who I am. Yeah. You think that I just shift skin? No, I create cells. I create new life in myself. And then this this reveal of a little, little concoction, you know, mm-hmm. uh, a little bit of this, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. So this idea that like, yeah, there is still part of Azazel in you. But it's only a copied version, right? right. It, it's just what was taken from his DNA f- to make this person that fathered Kurt. So the only question I have or the only thing that kind of pops up for me as like a red flag is that... The data page about Mystique is very clear to say that she cannot replicate mutant powers. Like that's sort of the one downfall of her her abilities. Her abilities. Yeah. However, the teleportation is sort of the tie to Azazel. So how did she replicate that? So I think that she cannot recreate the power in herself, but she can mimic or replicate the genetic base that would add that mm. to Nightcrawler's power set. So that's why you get the bamfing ability from Azazel. That's mm-hmm. why you get the blue skin from Mystique. That's yeah. why you get you know, some of the other influences. I don't know really what you get from Christian. Maybe uh, the hair, you know. Like, yeah, interesting. I feel like that's where you get like a little uncertainty of what else is in the the mix of material that is adding into what will become Kurt? Yeah. It's a lot. 
It is a lot. But and it's, it's interesting great. because like these two pages, I feel like this reveal from Mystique of like, don't be foolish. We're both women. I'm not just a woman. Right. I am a mutatable right. self. And the data page to kind of confirm you know, Mystique is more than what we label her as. Right. And then we get the we get the same panels. We get the story again. We find out Destiny is the one who is carrying the baby. And then the Count finds out. Right. Finds the two of them together and is killed because of it. You know, Mystique is like, no, we are not going to be exposed in this way. She starts to play the Count to make appearances to mm-hmm. so everything's fine. Everything's normal. And then the the page where Destiny is actually giving birth, the reveal that the child has these physical mutations. Yeah. Ooh, lady, your baby is blue. She's got a tail. The eyes are unresponsive. Pointy ears. And this, this reveal of I didn't want my baby to look upon me as a lie right. for the first time oh. that he sees me. That, I thought that was, yeah, emotionally resonant. I'm telling you, I think it was the end of this issue. I think I started crying reading it. And I was like, what's happening to me? What's going on? Well, because I think that there is, there's a lot of emotions here. There's yeah. a lot of emotions that these characters are carrying across their continuities. And that's being explained as to why and being revealed to them as to why. Mm-hmm. And so Destiny says, I'm going to be okay. Like, Don't worry about I me. I got me. I know. I can see things. Right. Take the baby and run. And, and you know, I'll be fine. And she does. And so this is where I'm like, okay, obviously I never read this, the original story. But the original idea is that Mystique threw Nightcrawler in a river. You you see. And again, that's what I'm trying to explain. Is is what we saw in those initial pages, pages of the Draco. Is that just the memory that she created for herself yeah, to think, fill in the blanks? I think that's the rewritten and, memory that. And we're not actually seeing history pages. We're seeing the memories that Mystique holds to set up that story. Right. This is what Xavier planted in her mind. Less so planted, more so what she filled in. So there's, there's some... Manipulated it a little, I think. So he erased the details that they wanted erased. Mm-hmm. And because she wanted... And we'll get to that page eventually. We mm-hmm. keep on alluding to it. Because she wanted to retain the knowledge of having a child, she didn't want that all erased. Right. So what was happening was that Xavier kind of perforated the memories, erased some of the details that would have Mm -hmm. given you the full truth and because of that the mind filled in gaps and played out story that was something that would have given you the answer that wasn't entirely true so did she then assume that she got rid of the baby because the baby drops there's a panel where the baby's falling and then bamps away for the Mm -hmm. first time yes and so she goes to help destiny and when she comes back baby's gone the baby is gone Arguably because Margali has found the baby and taken him. And was that a nod from Destiny? Because we do get reference to her later on. Mm-hmm. Kurt's like, hey, it's it's me. She's like, I know you, dummy. Yeah, I've, I've known, known the whole you time. the whole time. I'm not stupid. You have a tail. Nobody thinks you're Spider-Man. Right. You, you literally still make the bamf sound every time you teleport. <laughs> nobody, Nobody is confused by this. Except for the general public who don't know who you are. Now, see, this is a moment where I really appreciated the baby vamp because the baby vamp said what I was thinking, which is, yeah, but what happens in the in-between? Please fill in the gaps, Mystique. Right. 
fill out the full story. Okay, well, here's the the reconnecting, the five years later of when they found each other. That's the one part that, you know, is a little arguable. And I don't know when Kurt being conceived actually happened mm-hmm. and how that plays out timeline-wise, how long there were barons and counts in Bavaria and, and you know, don't have that historical knowledge. Right. But especially with the and, and also like the age of destiny and, and right. how she is able to be back in like the nineteen hundreds with Sinister and then be still kind of like a middle aged woman here when they are finding Rogue for the first time. Time means nothing. Sure, right. As long as you're hand waving in the comics. Right. Time is manipulatable. But they're finding Rogue. She sees the future of Rogue, the fact that people are taking notice of her, bad people, mm-hmm. that she does not have a family, is on her own. This is the daughter that you've always wanted. Right. Mystique you wanted Nightcrawler to be a girl. Several times says to him in this reveal, I wanted a daughter, just so we're clear. Right. I just... never wanted you. <laughs> Thanks, Poor Mystique. Like, you know, yeah. we're breaking new emotional ground and you are just throwing it in my face that you never wanted me. Yeah. And then we learn this is how we do it. This is how we move forward. Well, and we learn the reasons why, too. The reasons why we needed Kurt to be this person that would grow under this, this hatred and this tyranny that he would face. That we needed him to be this guiding light of hope that mm-hmm. he became. And and the response from see like I, I can't just have my baby be this tool that right. will be used and how that then connects into Xavier's part in this and how she wants to still retain the memories that Kurt will grow and become who he is destined to be, who we need him to be to stand up and to to play the part that Azazel needs him to be, but not fully give into that narrative. Right. And so as we've discussed is Xavier helps mystique in that way and then what i thought was so interesting is that in in mystique and xavier in their little combative moment at the gala he didn't break her brain he broke his conditioning in her brain and i don't think it was intentional right no it was just here is and she also has been historically seated as having resistance to telepathy Mm -hmm. so is this the hand returning to the right. the clay that is your mind and then finding something that was left behind previously. Right. I'm here. You don't have to be uh, the, the last page. That's what it was. It was the last page. It was... It was two things. It was the, your son is here. You don't ever have to be alone again. That whole section. Not a... F- because he's fate. needed you his whole life. His whole his lonely whole life. His whole lonely uh. life. And then, and it's in the darkest hollows that the brightest flames are lit. And then I started crying. Yeah. That's where it happened. I feel like that that's a huge thing for it to be revealed to Mystique. It's a huge thing for her to process. And it's a, like, this is bomb drops onto Kurt. This is understanding where he came from right how he is now having like destiny is actually his mother that's huge that's huge azazel he has no reason to have any real connection to him he is a a genetic donor of sorts right right the fact that they need each other 
They need each other. They're leaning on each other in this sense. Like, I don't think that this is going to be this huge turn for Raven. And I don't want it to be. No. But in their relationship, this has broken new ground. But it is nice to see her have this vulnerability. Sure. And to understand her a little bit deeper. And then, like I said, this just this truth that can be told for Destiny and Mystique, I think, is so important. And for her to be taking back ownership of herself, her relationships, and because she even says in that moment when Charles is, you know, about to do things, she's like, I don't, I'm not asking for this, like, sacrifice. I'm not asking to be, to have this erased from me. Mm -hmm. I, I don't want that. And so it's beautiful to know that she still wanted to have this connection to her son, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. The whole thing is just very interesting, but it was very—it was also very beautiful. I agree. And I'm here for it. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I really liked now where that sets us up to have interesting stories for these characters, their history, the things that were in question are more definitive. And even if it is, you know, if, if you were to say that you know if we started the podcast today this would need its own retcon wrangler oh for sure it might even still but i I think like we are all in conversation about how how this adds up how this means what it means i think i've had enough general conversation about that uh the draco story that i don't need a retcon wrangler sure 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 Maybe you'll read it one day, but also don't because it's not it's not great. It's, it's universally panned. Yeah, probably not going to do that. Yeah. Our also, cr- now don't need to. You don't need to, really. Our our Krakoan is blue blood Ooh. at the end. And what are your overall thoughts? I mean, we're kind of in it. We're talking about it the whole time. Yeah, I thought it was a really enjoyable issue. I love it when an issue really sucks me in and that I can get to a place of, of emoting when I'm reading, you know, where either it makes me really mad or like I was not, and I'm saying I didn't like full on cry, but I like started welling up and I was just, that for me was so exciting to be so in it in a story. And I really like Mystique as a character. So getting to learn and connect about her a little more. And I also just think it's so cool that she, it's like she doesn't need anyone else because she can become whatever she needs to fulfill her you know, desires in life. And I think that's such a cool thing for a, a character. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that this was equally a Kurt story as it was a Mystique yes. story, right? That, that this was bringing it in for Raven as well. It's also interesting because I feel like as a character, Kurt struggles with, you know, like morality and finding, not like his morality, but just the world mm-hmm. and finding his place in the world and I feel like thinking that Azazel was his father for so much of his life had to have this moment of like is there that badness in me right and and maybe a reason why he has fought to be so mm-hmm. noble as he is so so knowing that that's not the truth like but it is but it is but it isn't right right that's the complicated still part kind of in him like We're, he does still have azazel's dna right that's so he kind of his three parents maybe even more right, in the way that she alludes the... to christian being a part of that mm-hmm. and, and anyone else that she has had a relationship with the yeah. way that that mixes in, we don't know. Like, that's the science of science fiction that we're not sure. Right. But, yeah. No, I, I thought this was great. I thought 
you know, I, I understand the criticisms. I understand the confusion. I don't care. I, yeah. I, as a Nightcrawler fan, as a Chris Claremont fan, as a Krakoa fan, I love all of it. Yeah. So I'm here for it. I'm here for as messy as it is. As a general X-Men fan that knows messy backstories are at the heart of most of our yeah. most beloved characters, here for it. Yeah. Let's go. It, it, it took a me- messy backstory and made it even more so because... The Draco was still kind of messy and still kind of, you know, end reveal of what it was all along. Messy is synonymous with X-Men. I would agree. Soap (laughs) opera is synonymous with X-Men. And I feel like this is hitting back at that core, which I think is big. Uh, I love the art. Thought that that was really well done. Oh, yeah. Really, it's different from Uncanny Spider-Man, but still has the same vibe to it. Love Marcus Toe's art. Uh, I didn't know the other artists, which I think, you know, just speaks to the similar tone and look which i thought was really great Mm -hmm. uh really here for just it was well thought out Mm -hmm. in terms of how we're going to dance between these multiple takes of this story and make it all i don't know make sense but at least come to an end that we can all follow yeah maybe have to read it a second time to just be like okay what what is being undone or what is being added to yeah what is being revealed yeah. Intrigue. Intrigue. Remspringa had a crazy wild theory, as he Ooh. referred to it, on X-Men Blue. It was wrong, but he still really likes the real answer anyway. So it, it was more that uh, Mystique and Azazel had done some stuff, and then with that, she goes back to Destiny. And, and it's kind of similar, mm-hmm. right? She's taking the genetic makeup, the genetic code that she is able to read off of Azazel and mix that into what she's bringing to this pregnancy with Destiny. Yeah. House of Rhetorica thought Blue could have been better had it been co-written by a trans author. And I think Mm -hmm. that that was part of the conversation at the beginning is how does the sensitivity of this kind of story play out by a cisgendered heterosexual white man? Yes. Because I, I do agree that the... But then there's the other side. Does it need to be? I don't know. Right. I think that there's there's layers of sensitivity or just awareness in, in a cultural or, or just uh, um, identity-based perspective that you know, it feels, mm. I don't want to say disingenuous, but it feels like you're, you're writing the perspective of someone that you, you don't have that source. Yeah, and it, but it also brings up the question for me about like, did Mystique do this as a desire because she because uh, I'm literally just and in this moment trying to to rack my brain for my feelings on this particular topic or my sense of this topic and it's like Mystique does not identify as a man right she did not want to become a man or feel that she was in her most true skin as a man so it is interesting because she's not she is in a sense related to the trans story because she is she is all of the things right like or more non-binary like she has i would definitely agree with non-binary this like connection to all of these parts of her but i also feel that she only used this as a means to an end for something that she desired with her partner. Right. I don't think so that I she identifies like, as a man. I don't think that she, ha- like, you know, this does not change who 
her understanding of herself. It was more a means to an end. Right. So I think that the consultation of speaking with, you know, queer and trans creators gives you the information you need to handle the situation sensitively. Yeah. But she's not identifying as a man. So she is not trans. Right. I don't know. It's just interesting. It's just interesting to kind of like try to look at it from all perspectives. And I think it's I'm also, not saying that as a right or wrong. It's just kind of a. I think it's also a little bit of semantics of. Right. Is is her saying I was a man for that night or for the years that I've been in that role or playing that part? I mm. think it, it it is beyond the binary conversation. Right. Right. And even she says that in some time, you know, it's just who is allowed to be who they are mm-hmm. versus the mutant and human struggle. Yeah. It's more about being who you are as yourself. And I feel like she's still discovering that. Right. And or we are still discovering that as the the reader, she may know at her core who she is and how her powers influence that read of herself. Yeah. Darren Wright's stories thought Blue was beautiful. And I would agree that like, especially the emotion and the, the depth too would agree. Beautiful yes, is a, was, a great way to say it. It was very beautiful. Barusu33 is really enjoying how the story for Raven and Kurt is playing out and especially the energy that this now leads them to. Mm-hmm. Car Crash Carlos calling it Mystique is Zaddy, <laughs> which I think is hilarious. Yes. Gilbert Rojo 1022 wants to know how much more we love the murder mommies now. Right. I well, mean, you know, that's it makes them so much more to his narrative. I want like a whole mini series. It's just like Mystique and Destiny, like murder mommies through the ages. And I just want to see like them in every like I want to see what are they what were they doing in the seventies? Sure. What were they doing in the fifties? You know, like I just want to see it's them the in family all these book that ages. we've been talking about. Yeah. Right? It's the family book of all of them. And and having Rogue pop in and out and having yeah. Gambit be, you know, like the how do you look at their history as a family now? Yeah, it's in just a story. interesting. But just knowing that like the two of them did all these things throughout time to be able to remain together because they couldn't just outright be together. Yeah. It's an interesting timeline of stories I'd love to see. John's Comics With said, X-Men Origins Blue was everything I wanted. A great story for Mystique and Kurt. Agreed. Mm. We're actually going to be guesting on John's YouTube channel on Tuesday for Omni X-Men, talking about Uncanny X-Men 180, another classic Claremont story. Classic. Join us, 9 p.m. EST on Omni X-Men on John's YouTube channel. Yeah. Check us out. Vaderino leveling with us. Okay, look. I could go on and on about the greatness of this development, and I will, but that doesn't necessarily need to be in the show. <laughs> oh, well. So we, we have some folks that send us a lot of message, and they're yeah, like, we have you know, good this, conversation with- this isn't necessarily all for the show, but here is something that I want to talk about. The chatter around doing Rogue next, mm. having her origin, and I feel like this is even saying, with a pin on it, that you don't need her to be the biological child of destiny. And even right. she is making that point that Rogue's mother disappeared. Right. You could have some retcon and say that, you know, it was destiny, but I don't, I don't, you don't need that. No, but this did make me 
because I didn't really know how Rogue and Mystique sure. and Destiny kind of all came together. And in current comics, the way that you see how Destiny specifically is relates to Rogue, relates to Rogue, and it's like, okay, well, she was her caretaker first, is an interesting connection point between the two. Right, the fact that she really sees her as her daughter, and what does Destiny know of this, and what will she find out? Right, seeing as we just saw in Immortal. Not great. Oy. Does she get this reveal for herself? Yeah. But Vitorino really wants to know, can we talk about the reveal? Because I am so pleased that they went for it. This is huge. And also, did you notice that Mystique mentioned there were pregnancies before and after Kurt? That means Graydon and maybe mystery siblings, question mark, at right. least. There, there is some allusions, too, in the text that not all were successful. Right. Not That's all, what I was thinking. Right? Yeah. Miscarriages or, or things that did not take yeah. I think it's interesting to consider. But this this now love child between Mystique and Destiny is, is is really interesting. Their children. It's so very Mystique. It's and now that Mystique remembers Kurt's connection to Destiny, I'm really curious to see if she'll start treating him like they do Rogue. Mm. Will that change the relationship between Mystique and Kurt going forward? It might. It should. It will. <laughs> I, I think feel, it should, especially yeah. with Mystique coming to this realization and, and sharing this burden, this shame, this this heaviness of heart that she's carried. Yeah. Warline was surprised that this issue was good. I was expecting it to be confusing because of the retcons and handled bad, but uh, this approach that Sai took to explain Mystique and Destiny's history, to tie them up romantically, is good. Uh, the thing that he appreciates the most is Mystique's thoughts on their life cycle. The type of thought was something I needed to see with the way that this relationship is now playing out. The mm. the things that we are just kind of taking as red because they're shown on panel, like uh, Cyclops, Logan, and Jean now being in this relationship. Right, that's not explicitly gone through and explained, but here we actually get the details of how this came to be. Yeah. Another thought on Kurt's heritage, Wikipedia states that he is still the son of Azazel and now the son of Christian Wagner. So I reread the conversation between Kurt and Mystique and realized that she said she copied gametes from these people that she had been with and, and touched and or found some ways. So technically, is Kurt still related to Azazel in some way? I don't know. I think that that you know genetic material and donors he has just enough similarities to Azazel to fool him on that. I, I, I think you're looking for a definitive answer and you're not going to find one in this because well, it's a little bit of the comics magic. Well, there's a couple of things I want to say in, in that is one, Wikipedia is written sure, by, by people. people. Right. So, so it's just it's not Marvel's database. Yeah. And two, they're not going to, if even if it was, ideally someone's not going to go and update that immediately after the issue comes out and and yeah this like, is spoil it this you know? is what they're definitively saying right is this issue what else is inferred or as you try to explain you know i think it's interesting that anas continues to ask and say is kurt a chimera because of this mm. now i don't know because chimera creation is more about the genetics of mutant abilities right coming and this together. is more about like this the, is more like genetic donors uh, in a sense yeah this is more like he was he has more than two parents right in a sense right big things big Good wild stuff. crazy stuff 
That's the that week. That was a fun. That was a fun time to come back and get it, get it. Right, and I think necessary. Mm-hmm. And we also got to like kind of hand wave over that giant stack of books. Yeah, we were like, yeah, we read these. Yeah, we did. We did. What do we got coming next week? I don't know. You tell me. Alpha Flight number five, closing mm, out that story. That Invincible Iron Man number thirteen, continuing Ooh. the Tony and Emma tale. They're now in space on the cover. Ooh. X Men twenty nine, Doom. Doom. That's the big one. That's yeah, the exciting, that's exciting one. And for me personally, Amazing Spider Man number thirty nine, which Gang War started this week. Yes. It will continue. I'm only reading. The, the start, Spider-Man. the finish, and the ASM because I sub ASM already. And then Avengers number eight because I've really been enjoying Jed McKay's take on the Avengers. Nice. Yeah. Good stuff all around. Yeah. Until next time, old friend. Charles, what'd you do? <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us today on the Ex-Wife Podcast. Be sure to leave us a review and tell your friends. The Ex-Wife Podcast is produced in Providence, Rhode Island by Alicia and Justin. Our music is by Quan. 